Hello everybody, I'm your host Hal Curtis and I'd like to welcome you to The Space Industry by SatSearch, where we share stories about the companies taking us into orbit. In this podcast, we delve into the opinions and expertise of the people behind the commercial space organisations of today who could become the household names of tomorrow. Before we get started with the episode, remember you can find out more information about the suppliers, products and innovations that are mentioned in this discussion on the global marketplace for space at satsearch.com. Welcome to the episode, everybody. I'm joined today by Vitenis Buzas, CEO and co-founder of NanoAvionics. NanoAvionics is a full-service nanosatellite mission integrator based in Columbia, Illinois, in the USA, with facilities also in North America, Europe, and the UK. NanoAvionics is a SatSearch membership company and also manufactures nanosatellite buses with standardized configurations, along with various other subsystems developed in-house. So good morning, Vitenis, and welcome to the podcast. Um, yeah, good morning, Howell. Good morning, colleagues. Uh, thank you. Great, thanks. So today, I'd like to discuss with you a bit about agile manufacturing in nanosatellite production. Now, since the real growth of the commercial space sector began, we've seen various companies plan- who are planning to deliver nanosatellite-based services very often choose to produce their own satellites in-house, mainly due to lead times in the industry being large and difficult to control for particularly against price and particularly in high volumes. So in order for subsystem manufacturers and mission integrators in the wider supply chain to offer a better option than complete in-house production for these companies, agile manufacturing has been talked about as a solution. It helps achieve greater speed and flexibility whilst respecting the quality and cost that such upstream clients require. Agile manufacturing is maybe a bit of a new concept to many in the industry and something that new space companies are trying to understand and grapple with. So I just wondered if you could share with us what agile manufacturing for nanosatellites means from your perspective. The manufacturing by itself in the world of nanosatellites doesn't cover that big part as, for example, in general industry, like consumer electronics, for example. But I would rather emphasize that it's not like Manufacturing alone is agile in this, let's say, nanosatellite or small satellite world, but the entire system of manufacturing is more or less should be agile because there are various components, let's say, through the process which which uh, contribute to the final result, to the final hardware, right, of the satellite. And a lot of things should be harmonized in order to make, to make let's say, the, the, the satellite bus manufacturable, fast manufacturable, I mean, the design modular, for example, and, uh, you know, to, to, to increase the quality, to increase the speed of the production, to, to, to decrease the price, etc. So there are a lot of things in this process. And, of course, finally, quality assurance and, uh, well, quality requirements are growing through the year, higher and higher. So while organizing the manufacturing as a process, it's a pretty, pretty broad thing in general. So we can try uh, during our conversation to break it down, let's say that process. I mean, uh, whichever way you would like, but from this perspective, there is no kind of, you know, single or, or simplified answer. Uh, to describe the agility of manufacturing the nanosatellite. Sure. You know, space technology is always complicated. There's the whole system of systems concept, which makes yeah agility a discussion that needs to be p- 
performed at you know a certain level. So maybe we could start with one of the the principles of agile manufacturing there the the problem of the customer order cycle. You know we've seen in space a bit of a pressure for from upstream clients where customers are, are willing or expecting to wait less and less time, shorter and shorter timescales for the for the um, subsystems to be delivered or services to be carried out. So over the last few years, is there anything you've observed in the market with respect to, you know, order cycles that's let's substantiate agile manufacturing processes? We observed quite an interesting thing. I remember when we just started this business, it was like around 2008 or so, so more than 10 years ago. People, of course, were betting a lot on on the CubeSats. I mean, those satellites back in the days were, were called CubeSats. Now we try to call them nanosats and uh, nanosatellites because we constantly increase the quality, constantly increase the the functionality of those. So let's say quite a lot of the customers are still overestimating a little bit the current technology of the nanosatellite in general, and they expect a bit more than uh, those nanosatellites can deliver as of today, of course. But bearing what is perception of the nanosatellite functionalities or capabilities of today and, uh, you know, co- comparing it with that, what was 10 years ago, it it, it becomes really, really different. And, uh, of course, people start to understand that nanosatellite by itself is a little, little bit limited machine because it follows the standard. I mean, the external, like, volume surface, right? And people start to realize which is a positive thing. And they start to adjust their payload instruments so they uh, so so those payload instruments can be accommodated from the various perspective i'm not talking here about the volume alone or or the mass there are a lot of things i mean thermal data interfaces power interfaces and a lot of other things so the the general trend i mean uh, things are getting better the customer the customer becomes more and more aware of the limitations of the nanosatellite. And through this, you can develop and discover a new opportunities and capabilities. So, you know, discovering the limitation is not necessarily have to be a bad thing, right? Then you start to realize, you know, the boundaries. You start to realize how you can uh, extend your, let's say, functionality or capabilities within those boundaries. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting process, actually. We observe since around 2000, 2010, roughly. Right, interesting. And I think that concept of discovering the, the limitations and the boundaries also applies in the manufacturing process itself. Because um, as uh, although modularization and you know more common interfaces exist, there are certain tasks which still have to be done manually, or, well, at, at the moment at least, such as populating boards and sold, soldering. These are widely practiced in the space industry. They help engineers ensure reliability and carry out, you know, qualification uh, ongoing. But there also could be argued to be uh, bottlenecks in in the ability to to be fully agile. How do you think one is possible to tackle such such manual processes or approach them? Yeah, you're right. You cannot avoid manual processes entirely. This is correct because let's say one thing is we try to make the capex optimal right we don't want to invest too much into soldering machines you know reflow machines etc even though we can call our 
manufacturing, like, you know, small series manufacturing, but it means like how much? Up to 100 pieces per year. Mm. It means that, uh, you know, owning those machines in-house doesn't make too much of economic sense. So uh, we have to work a lot with our, you know, providers, suppliers, well, third parties, right? And... Um, yeah, but still, you cannot avoid some manual operations in-house. For example, you, you, do, you do not want to uh, uh, reveal bill of materials at, you know, full full scope, right? Uh, because you don't want to let know your suppliers, let's say, the most critical components. So you want to, again, you want to, you know, uh, protect your AP, you want to protect your know-how, so you still have to do quite a quite a few of the operations in house. In most of the cases, yes, it is related with the final integration, inspection, you know, soldering or assembling the the the, the most critical components or the most sensitive. And uh, how we are dealing with this, of course, we are trying to implement, even though the relative turnover of the well pieces of the units of the components in the entire industry is not that high comparing with other industries right we still want to we still want to organize it as much as possible as it would be well broader serious manufacturing market so we can you know spare a lot of time we can make things working much 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 better optimal Etc. So we try to combine. Uh, you know, we 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 always try to play with uh, between you know custom manufacturing where we need to tweak something for for certain uh, customers and where we need to have a baseline product. I I don't want to use the word standard product. It's like a baseline product. So how we do organize this in our case, um, we try to keep it modular, but not only the product by itself modular, like, you know, software or hardware modular, where you, where you can stack up, you know, different modules with different functions. But we want to keep the manufacturing, let's say, chain or organizational modular as much as possible as well. So, for example, we design hardware in a way that 80%, roughly 80% for all of the customers non-depending what is their payload instrument we keep that hardware like a baseline right always always the same so let's say 80 percent or even more is always the same and we tweak the entire 20 percent where we adjust let's say i don't know roughly telling interconnect jumpers in a different way you know some resistors there some resistors there here and uh, also we we are trying to solve as much things through the software and firmware as much as possible. So this is how we address this ourselves, and this is how we want to make those products we manufacture as much, well, look-alike, serious manufacturing as much as possible, even though it's like tens or, I don't know, a couple of hundreds of pieces per year. Right, excellent. So although there are those manual elements to uh, the production of each system, they're limited to a certain percentage of the the overall system, and they are uh, necessary, as you've mentioned, for for different reasons. Yeah, I mean, we want to kind of isolate them as much as possible. I mean, we want to make them as firm as possible, uh, and uh, you know, where things can be done by a machine, we want to know 
machines doing them because you know they do not have emotions they do not do that much mistakes as as we does right as as we do so we we want to very very strictly isolate where is uh, the job intended to be made by a machine where is the job intended to be made by a human i think um, when a lot of people think about agile manufacturing in, in with nanosatellites they see the core drivers as being the constellations that we've seen um, you know, we, as you mentioned, you have systems that are 80% uh, consistent and 20% adapted. Sometimes these, there are plenty of constellations out there where each satellite is 100% you know, the same. So um, that's, uh, that's, that's quite an, a well-understood topic, and I think it's been, it's been spoken about a few times in the industry. I wonder whether you thought there were other segments, such as the in-orbit demonstrations or verifications uh, missions, or even scientific research missions, which have or could have the same expectations of agile manufacturing. The interesting thing in general is that nanosatellite industry is becoming more and more mature. Even though, let's say, people have, I mean, not all of the companies or people are talking about the constellations, right, as you, as you, as you just mentioned. I mean, some of them are talking about the one-off IOD missions or one-off scientific missions, etc. But the interesting thing is they expect and the expectations in general, are becoming, uh, well, more and more industrial grade, right? So if, let's say, people 10 years ago were thinking that the CubeSat is kind of expandable machine, right? You you just load it with a bunch of batteries. It works for one week, and that's it, right? It decays, it, it you know, it, 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 it burns in the atmosphere. So now people are thinking differently. I mean, they're thinking that this is a, this is an industrial machine and it have to last. If it is being built once, if it if it is being launched once, it have to last and it, it have to work. And uh, you know, uh, the software technologies yeah. and the firmware technologies are becoming more and more capable. So even with the same hardware, you can you can you know start doing a lot of different things. I mean, you can reprogram the satellite, you can test, you know, different algorithms, etc. So it was different 10 years ago. I mean, you just, you, you flash the satellite once and that's it. You cannot do anything. And, but you know, where people started to implement in-orbit firmware flash function, it changed the game significantly. It started to look like, to look like more like a mobile phone. I mean, you have the same set of hardware, Let's say you use that set of hardware for how much? One year, maximum two years. But during that period, the firmware is being updated a lot of times. I mean, dozens of times. And after you know, after that one year or two years, you sometimes start feeling even like you know you have a different set of the hardware because some different capabilities or or some let's say optimizations are being made during that period. So even your hardware can start working, you know, how to say, faster, roughly telling, or, or the batteries can last longer because some processes are being optimized. Then when it comes to the size of the satellites out there, in the CubeSat form factor, you can go from 1U to 27U, you know, with a, a decent amount of, from different areas. However, that's a vastly different satellite even with modular systems and common interfaces etc so how do you go about looking at scaling agile processes for larger subsystems to those larger satellite form factors 
Yeah, very interesting topic for the discussion, actually. So we seek and, well, most of our competitors are always seeking to supply the constellation, right, for, for that golden customer, so to say. And uh, we all of us realize that we cannot suddenly change the processes, procedures. Let's say now we manufacture like 20 pieces of the satellites per year, if suddenly our customer is coming and asking, you know, hey, now you're going to manufacture like 50 or 100 pieces per year for me, like in upcoming three years. So we cannot just suddenly, you know, upgrade the manufacturing procedures or, you know, entire infrastructure to accommodate this kind of the numbers. So we always think, we constantly think how we have to build things today that tomorrow they can uh, tomorrow the same infrastructure can accommodate three four times increased manufacturing capabilities but at the same time not spending too much of capex while let's say today we are manufacturing 10 satellites and if you know we think how we can do increase the manufacturing capabilities let's say within the same infrastructure and you know manufacture 40 or 30 satellites per year without significantly investing into the infrastructure. Because even, even if we could, let's say, every time to invest some additional cash into that infrastructure, it will take half a year, realistically, to align everything. It, it doesn't happen, you know, during the weekend, right? During a couple of days. So from this perspective, I mean, we, we are always thinking... Today, we manufacture a couple of dozen satellites per year, but we're always thinking how we are going to manufacture, well, hundreds of the satellites when that customer will come. And let's say current customers who are working with us on various applications, they are all always talking that they are going to scale their constellations. Of course, many of them will fail, but some of them will reach their, their goal. So having in mind everything, all, all of this, we're organizing and building the infrastructure so we can accommodate the future demand. Excellent. So that agility is the, the potential to achieve that agility and high volume is built in from the very start. What about in terms of technical factors when you, you know, comes to this specific technology? Are there any, any factors that involve volatility, you know, thinking of things like interface requirements, special AOCS systems or communications that make it difficult to accommodate certain payloads, which therefore, you know, apply a bit of a, a constraint on the ability to be agile? I should say roughly that 70 or 80 percent of the customers can use pretty much the same vehicle. I mean, everyone. Like It's like, you know... I don't know, um, a, a chases of a basis of the car and the same car can, can, can be an ambulance, the same car can be firefighting, accommodated firefighting equipment, etc. So the chases, the basis of the car is the same. You just have to tweak, you know, a small part of that. In some cases, of course, you have to go a bit more extremely beyond those boundaries. So then, of course, the project becomes a bit more expensive it will take a bit longer to implement everything. But from the perspective of our company, we seek, we always seek, you know, to, to have as much baseline as possible. 
of course you cannot do it too much because if you will try to to do you know like universal things universal machines uh, it means that you know at some point you will start narrowing down the the ability to to to, to serve different kind of the customers because all of them are very very different i mean starting with that observation and uh, finishing with telecommunication i mean the problems the the satellite bus needs to handle are completely different i mean one needs more power another one needs more thermal stability uh, another one needs you know uh, like very accurate adcs etc so at this point we do reserve some room for those you know to accommodate different customers i mean we do reserve some margin in terms of technical capabilities in terms of uh, simply the volume right or or the mass but yeah you cannot ac- accommodate everything all the time so in some of the cases of course you have to tweak and you have to go beyond those boundaries so but yeah there is a price of that so it's very much about balancing the trade-offs that you you have to make exactly exactly i mean if it is if it becomes too far from what we can offer it means maybe that payload even cannot be flown with a nano satellite for example but again i mean uh, while we're talking about that for this reason we see that our customers are pushing beyond those boundaries quite often so uh, that's why you know last week we introduced uh, our 100 kg bus because today we have six 12 16 units right which can with which can be launched as a nano satellite from the deployer but if we go beyond 16 units right if we go beyond like a roughly 30 kgs then we have to think about the separation rings and for that reason uh, we introduced to the market separation ring deployed bus serving new markets has also led you to develop new innovation which is the way around you want to do it right create the products for the demand it's, it's so and i think another aspect of the of agile manufacturing you touched on this briefly earlier talking about the, you know ip protection and how you deal with your your own suppliers presumably the drive to be agile has required you to add sort of levels of sophistication to your own supply chain with different tiers of suppliers supporting supporting you in different ways with materials components etc how have you found this process how are you know space industry suppliers able to to serve you keep up with the requirements that agile manufacturing might put on them in turn very interesting topic for the discussion i mean but observe actually quite a few of the problems in the supply chain and uh, we always try to to diversify our suppliers because some of the customers are very demanding i mean they come to us they run the audit you know a couple of days they just you know um digging deep into our abilities to ensure quality etc and in some of the cases i mean uh, well some suppliers they I, I don't know how to how to explain but they lost a momentum a little bit to keep up with the market the market demand and the market requirements and especially expectations for quality okay. i mean onboard power resources and in general onboard resources and functionality are growing much faster than i don't know 70 60% of of the regular or typical 
suppliers or typical, let's say, you know, there are some suppliers who are not that, that, that broad in what they offer. I mean, maybe they offer some very narrow, like, you know, payload controllers, right? Or onboard computers or ADCS systems or even some sensors. For those guys, maybe it is more difficult to, to develop a feeling where the market is going and, you know, to, to have that information where it is going. And yeah, we had some difficulties historically with a couple of good or respected suppliers where they didn't, you know, cannot keep up with the, with the growing expectations of the market. So this is actually interesting. And uh, the interesting thing that in some of the cases we were kind of forced to switch the supplier or even we were forced to develop that particular component for ourselves. But, you know, overall, nanosatellite market is very young. I mean, it's, you know, what, I mean, 20 years. So from the industrial perspective, it's like baby who, who even cannot walk on her, you know, two, two legs, right? So it still crawls on arms and legs. So in general, yes, the maturity of the market overall is, is a bit early, so so to say and, you know, there are a lot of processes. Uh, we observe a lot of processes. I mean, now in the market where, where, you know, some consolidation is happening. I mean, bigger companies are acquiring smaller companies. Big investments are coming. And a lot of things are happening. And this is the result of the market becoming more mature. Yeah, and I think um, I think you're right. The analogy is, is perfectly right. And I think these are growing pains, right? I mean, you can imagine for some of these suppliers of the the types of components and, and materials and things that you mentioned have had to deal with pressures on them over years past that have been wildly different to what they have today. It's very different to serve a commercial constellation manufacturer than it is to provide a few units for a, an, an ESA mission. Different timescales, different requirements on, you know, on quality, on in, sharing information, all that sort of thing. So it's, it's interesting. You're right in the middle of dealing with these these problems today. Um, and I guess to, to to bring that back to some of the aspects of agile manufacturing, those problems often come uh, often realised in the results of testing processes and alongside speeding and scaling up manufacturing. Have you also found it necessary to find ways of making testing quicker? We constantly work to make the testing processes uh, automatic as much as possible because there are, of course. The, the hardware is becoming more and more complex, meaning it can accommodate more and more functions, different functions, and then different combinations of the functions. So in general, the different aspects, I mean, there are like huge numbers of different aspects. I mean, those are still not infinite, right? But there are like, I don't know, thousands of different combinations in the functionality and thousands of or tens tens of thousands or even even more of situations where something can go wrong and uh, yes we are also always thinking about the uh, making the testing processes automatic for example we have implemented i don't know since since the very early days of the company we have implemented the capability for our customer to test the uh, their payload like virtually so for example we assemble hardware in-house. We put it, you know, in the server rack, roughly telling. And through through the internet, through TCIP, our customer can interconnect with that hardware. I mean, simulated 
simulated satellite as a as a piece of hardware, they can interconnect it with their payload instrument and they can start developing the software like you know right after we sign the contract. So through these processes, of course, through 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 this capability once established, we started to think, you know, how we can improve it. So, you know, we started to feed the that hardware within inputs, for example, from simulated environment or even from the actual environment. I mean, we feed it with a satellite telemetry of the satellites which are flying, you know, today in orbit. So our customer can uh, can test various combinations. This is, let's say, the process of the development. But we started to apply the same or similar principles to the testing, right? Where we, one thing, we test we test the hardware, we test the satellite simulating the actual natural environment as much as possible. Another one thing, you know, we just test the functions automatically because there are thousands of, of, of them. So yes, we do, we do these things. And uh, of course, you know, it is being implemented mostly through the software and the processes more and more standardized. All of the different satellites contain 80% of very similar functions. Power generation, attitude control, determination, navigation, etc. Of course, some of the things should be like observed or monitored manually by human. But uh, yeah, we constantly increase the factor of automation in this kind of the process. I mean, in, in the process of testing. We looked at the different some of the different areas there of agile manufacturing over the course of discussion so far the testing your your own downstream supply chain obviously the the um, your actual manufacturing processes and technical production another area where the your own um, activities interface with the the wider industry where agile could you know be uh, to have an effect is the launch and the ground segment part of the industry are those areas are launch and ground segments, you know, meeting your expectations. Are they are they developing in a way that enables other parts of the industry to be more agile and, and speed up? Yeah, I mean, I'm very very happy about the launch industry. It helped very simply and roughly telling through the last ten years the price has decreased ten times, right? Roughly eight to ten times. Like ten years ago, the launch it's by itself was. Uh, was a major bottleneck. I mean, to launch 1 kg for 100,000 euros, it was a really crazy thing. I mean, so it only a few organizations, you know, worldwide uh, 15 or 10 years ago were able to allow themselves to afford uh, to launch a CubeSat. But today what we see, I mean, today we see the price went down like eight. 10 times and it created a lot of capabilities and uh, it's 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 a very good thing because it accelerates the growth of the market and the maturization of the market really really significantly and uh, this is a good thing actually and uh, through the uh, increased capabilities to launch hardware into orbit the market looks more and more as an you know as a, as an industrial environment i mean real industrial environment real economy so i'm very happy about that and uh, more and more you know those theoretical principles which are applied for general economy they can be applied within the nano satellite and small satellite industry 
So it's a very big and huge and very good thing that launch market, I mean, launchers market is, is growing and getting significantly stronger than it was 10 years ago. The ground segment, it's interesting. Our hardware, our satellites are compatible with, uh, well, most popular ground station providers, right? Ground station network providers. So one of the major partners we have is KSAT. And uh, we worked with KSAT for quite a few years. A couple of projects, a couple of programs were funded by European Commission, European Space Agency, where we enabled nanosatellites to be compatible with KSAT, for example. So, again, working on various bands, S-band, UHF, K-band, for example. So we are very happy about that. And, um, of course, it took some effort to make nanosatellites compatible with those those professional ground station networks, but it is paying off. I mean, uh, we have global access, like literally global access. Of course, there are some, you know, blind spots above the oceans, above the deserts but we're working with um, again with the, with the partners on uh, inter-satellite link i mean leo to leo and then leo to geo and then to earth mm-hmm. uh so yeah those projects were also funded by uh, european space agency and european commission but talking about the mission control software which combines everything and which enables everything to work as a unified you know end-to-end solution uh, we also tested a few things, but this is something what we do ourselves. I mean, we need something specialized for nanosatellite demands. We need something specialized for so-called mega constellations where we launch, I mean, beyond tens or dozens of the satellites. I mean, we're thinking here about the few hundreds or a couple of hundreds of satellites. So we found it a bit difficult to to just to buy some you know developed systems and you know reapply them on top of the nano satellite world we cover so we are developing something something by ourselves i mean talking about the mission control software because mission control from the broader perspective was implemented only on the satellites i mean bigger satellites like you know a few hundred KG buses like Kinmarsat, like like Global Star Orbcom, etc. So, or then we have professional mission control tools uh, where, where we are talking about geostationary. But for nano satellites, something which can work professionally, there was some, some kind of gap we indicated a few years ago, and now we have our own. Uh, mission control system again it's modular we can you know increase or decrease the the number of the modules which which are you know solving different kinds of the problems for the satellite at the local extent or on the global extent for the constellation yeah but for this we developed something on our own oh interesting okay so just to take a little bit of a step back and you know talk about agile manufacturing in general i think a lot of a lot of people use the example of the automotive industry when we're uh, when we're looking at industrial processes. And one of the flagship concepts there is just-in-time manufacturing. Do you see any scope to apply concepts such as that to the production of nanosatellites in order to you know remove inventory, free up space, etc.? We try to apply uh, some principles which are coming from automotive industry. 
we try to to do, let's say, or to narrow down the operations being done by a single, I don't know, single suborganization or single person or single supplier. So again, everything is being more transparent. We decrease the space for um, improvisation, which is pretty harmful thing, as we learned in, in the past. So we we try to apply, you know, these kind of the principles in order to track, you know, manufacturing, to make it leaner, to make it more agile, etc. So, of course, uh, nanosatellite industry is not really well comparable with the automotive industry because of the, you know, amounts, because of the simple standardization, liter- literally standardization. But still, I mean, at least locally within the within the level of the company, we we look how things are being organized in automotive industry. We look how things are being even organized in medical industry, for example. Yeah, uh, because of the requirements. Because again, we represent nano satellite industry. It's not old space, right? Where we spend millions for testing for quality assurance. But it's not cubesats where we. Put you know I don't know a dozen of batteries in in the small box we, we we launch it and we are still happy even if it's not working right so we are something we are something in between which is called I don't know maybe the term is getting called I mean new space but we are building nano satellites which is something in between the old space and you know that uh, student approach but still balanced you know economically not expensive in testing but functional and reliable enough to satisfy more and more demanding customer. Right, interesting. Interesting examples there of, uh, of uh, other industries you use. And I understand the medical example on reflection, highly regulated, you know, compliance so important. The failure is uh, very much uh, something you want to avoid. And yeah, interesting. Okay, so, um, and then you mentioned the industrialization and the commercial aspect of it and i think in these other industries automotive etc there's widely wide use of commercial off-the-shelf parts and components cots components and these are one way to shorten manufacturing times and reduce costs but they can come with at least a perception of a trade-off in terms of performance and possibly reliability reliability which is so important as you get to increase satellite sizes and, and mission lifetimes so how do you approach the use of of commercial off-the-shelf components in nanoavionics? Are they widely used or, or not so much? They are very widely used. So in most of the cases, we apply, well, so to say, highest-grade industrial components. These are not that high as medical-grade components or military-grade components, right? Or old space-grade components where they really, I mean, micro uh, microcontrollers uh, cost like tens of thousands of euros. I mean, in this case nanosatellite industry wouldn't exist at all if we would need you know to use this kind of kind of the components but in general a highest grade industrial components in most of the cases means that these are automotive grade components i mean automotive grade components are really high grade components and uh, in the context of the of the of the today's environment i mean in the automotive industry things need to be reliable, right? Because it directly translates into the health problems or even, you know, life and death question. So automotive-grade components are really well applicable in, in the nanosatellite 
well. In some of the cases, of course, we do buy medical grade components, which are which are still not that expensive, are not that expensive uh, as military or, or old space style components. But we do, you know, certain levels of inspections, uh, you know, incoming inspections for certain type of the components, if, if these are active components or, you know, semiconductor components, the inspection is more strict. If it's passive components like capacitors, resistors, roughly telling, maybe it's not, not that much strict. But still, we do incoming inspection. We want to put it on the shoulders of our suppliers as much as possible because, you know, our suppliers in most of the cases are well, mainstream industry or consumer industry suppliers, so they do a lot of things and they, they have a huge, uh, how would say, level of automation uh, implemented. So we always try to, to, to do as less, you know, tasks as possible. <laughs> so we, we, then we involve, you know, a minimal amount of, of, of the human and then we avoid maximum mistakes possibly made. So, so yeah, but still, I mean, incoming, outgoing inspections, especially, I mean, it, yeah, if these are components, if we are talking about the, you know, subsystems which are being purchased and reused within, within our buses we built, um, so then we have uh, also some environmental kind of, you know, qualification or testing to, to make sure that, that component will not, you know, will not cause any problem to the rest of the system. So, yes, these these operations are implemented, uh, and we see that we cannot go without them. And I think a lot of this all boils down to speed, which we've mentioned a few times. The speed for the customer, and if we sort of put aside, you know, costs, uh, reliability, risk, quality, and you know, assume all those things are kind of equal. I was wondering, in your view, how you how you thought how short the overall cycle of the of, of a satellite project could be from you know kickoff to on-orbit service operational. What could we achieve? The shortest the shortest we had was like two and a half months. Wow! <laughs> so roughly telling ten ten weeks, but of course this is extremum. This is crazy. People need to work in you no know, two shifts very important customer i mean we can do it once in a while but i mean when you work under pressure you know a probability to make some mistakes increases like tenfold i mean this is statistics like people under pressure tend to make 11 times more mistakes as they're working you know during normal conditions but i should say nominal comfortable period of manufacturing the regular bus we have is like six months, for example, roughly telling, right? Five to seven, six, let's say, is kind of now um, a, a sweet spot combining, you know, risks, price, manufacturing. Let's say, again, you have to simply give some time for components to arrive to your place of, of the integration. Um, so combining everything, I mean, logistics and, and everything, Six months is something, something which sounds like 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 a regular thing. Yeah, and presumably taking into account global pandemics. 
Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. So of course, uh, last spring was was much harder. Yeah, yeah. Where people didn't knew what to expect, but let's say this spring again, at least in my region where I'm located right now, they reintroduced kind of strict lockdowns. You know, uh, in 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 some in some places, but people, uh, yeah, discovered how to work under these kind of the circumstances. The cadence of of six months and expectations that. Uh, upstream clients can can plan to and i think that's that's some like you say that everything in the industry has got well a lot of things in the industry have got cheaper and, and many many things have got faster and i think these are results that would be very impressive to somebody 10 years ago you know <laughs> correct typical typical nano satellite or, or back in this cubesat project was like people were assuming this is two years project that's, that's fascinating this shows how far we've uh we've come Finally, I just wanted to just ask a little bit more about nanoavionics. Now, there are there are a few companies out there who are performing similar roles to, to yourselves as satellite producers and mission integrators. I wondered if you could just explain what you think makes nanoavionics different as a business. We do not emphasize any kind of different, let's say, piece of hardware or, or you know, some particular solution of software. We always think about the end-to-end. So vertical integration right customers coming to us having a perception of the satellite of the nano satellite uh, he has already maybe or at least uh, thinks or, or or knows where to get the payload instrument so we offer and we start to think about the entire chain right from the integration from the contract signing the contract then logistics i mean payload integration hardware satellite bus hardware to support that payload then uh, integration with the launcher launch itself and then operations commissioning and operations so what we what where we are different we are supplier of the end-to-end solution whether this is a single mission or entire constellation i mean there are not too much of the examples in the industry where nano satellite constellations have been launched but we have very, very near attempts, right? Where we, where they are almost being launched. We have quite a few of those in our portfolio. And uh, why those customers like us, we offer them end-to-end solution. I mean, very clear and transparent path, how they will bring their payload into orbit. In general, after all, this is only the data which, which they get. They don't care about the launcher. They don't care about the satellite bus, etc. Well, I would say hypothetically talking, right? Of course they care because they will pay for that. But as a, as a final result, they get data in whichever form, in the form of image, in the form of, you know, telecommunication transmission, I don't know, some orbital parameters if it's, you know, scientific mission, etc. So we're always talking about end-to-end mission. I mean, how how they are now here, but we're talking how they will get that data into their into their physical location. I mean, we're even thinking about these servers, how we will safely, you know, transport that data from the orbit through our drone stations to their laptops. Uh, so this is this is what we do, and I think, I think, and as our customers are telling, this is one of the main things which distinguish us from our customers. Where the satellite bus is only a component it's not like absolute thing or you know 
absolute thing which is solving all of the problems. No, I mean, this is the system which we're developing, entire system, entire infrastructure, like, like a railway, right? Even though we are selling those components and subcomponents and buses separately, but this is not our main focus. And then on top of that, customer support. I mean, transparent customer support. We communicate a lot and we invest a lot into customer support. We want you know, our customer to have quite a good relationship with our staff, with engineers they support. I mean, we have, you know, for all of the projects, we have dedicated engineering staff, project management staff, etc. It's not like, uh, you know, we, we launched or we delivered and forgot. No, we take a lot of care about the relationship with our customers. So roughly telling these two things, vertical integration of the product or the service and the customer care. Well, great. Thanks for tennis. That's a good place to finish up. Uh, thank you very much for sharing your insights on agile manufacturing in the space sector. I think our listeners will have learned a lot about this and really appreciate how much goes into the process now. Thank you, Hal, and thank you, colleagues, for listening. It was a very interesting conversation. Thank you, and best of luck to all of you. Great, and to all our listeners out there, thank you for spending time with us this week, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you'd like to find out more about nanoavionics and see further details on the company's portfolio, please go to satsearch.com for more or click on the link in the show notes. On the SatSearch platform, you can find technical details of products and services from companies around the world and request CAD models, ICTs, data sheets, quotes, introductions to businesses, or whatever else you might need for trade studies, procurement, or technical assessments. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Space Industry by SatSearch. I hope you enjoyed today's story about one of the companies taking us into orbit. We'll be back soon with more in-depth, behind-the-scenes insights from private space businesses. In the meantime, you can go to setsearch.com for more information on the space industry today, or find us on social media if you have any questions or comments. To stay up to date, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter, and you can also get each podcast on demand on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Play Store, or whichever podcast service you typically use.